Well, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, It's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him from through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave ploughing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately, sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which was commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done that which we ought to have done. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his feet, fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, the title of this sermon is Count Your Blessings. And if you know your hymns, you'll know that there is a very famous hymn called Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. Let me just read a couple of verses and then the chorus, which is the Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows your tempest tossed, when you're discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Then I'll do the second verse too. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you're called to bear? Count your blessings, every doubt will fly, and you'll keep on singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. There's such a secret in that hymn alone about counting your blessings. Because in the lives that we lead, often there's very little thought to counting the blessings that we already have. We live in a society and a culture that's always looking for the next new thing. Uh, that, that very quickly, in a materialistic culture, 
Uh, as soon as we get something, we're looking at want, wanting something else. They talk about keeping up with the Joneses. And that phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, is the idea of you've got a neighbourhood and everybody in the neighbourhood is looking to see what the other neighbour's got. The other neighbour got a new car, I need to get a new car. The other neighbour got a new lawnmower, I need to get a new lawnmower. The other neighbour got a tan by going on holiday, I need to go. Keeping up with the Joneses. And so often in life, and it's human nature, fallen human nature too, we're always thinking about what we don't have rather than also thanking God about what we do have. We don't so much count our blessings as wonder or wonder about all the things that we don't have. We count all the blessings we don't have instead of counting all the blessings that we do, we do have. And in this passage that Jesus is teaching, I've given you the full context because it's important. If you want to come into contact with what scripture is really saying, you must always read it in context. You can't just take a verse out and say, here is my springboard text for today. Whenever a preacher says, this is my verse, it's my springboard text for today, leave. Because what that usually means is they start with a scripture and then they go off to give all their opinions on whatever they think and give you a nice pep talk, leadership talk or whatever it might be. And it's not rooted in scripture. But the task of the preacher is to try and bring the congregation into contact with the scripture as it really is through illustration perhaps or driving things home. But the more you are in contact with the naked word of God, the scripture as it is, impacting your life, that's what's really going to change you. Clever sermons and opinions by preachers won't change you at all. You, you can go and, uh, and watch stuff like that on YouTube. The world do it a lot better than we do. And so in this first section, before we even get to the, leper, le the lepers, Jesus is speaking about the disciples service of faith, how to, they're to live and how they're to walk in faith. And I'll just give you a brief understanding of this, because then when we get to the lepers, this will really help you and impact you. Before chapter 17, we've had the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which was shocking to the disciples, because in their mind, the rich person always goes to heaven, because God has blessed them on earth. So if a rich man can't get into heaven, then who can get into heaven? That was their mindset. But in this story, you find that the rich man went to hell. And in fact, it was the person that wasn't blessed that had least to be thankful for on the earth. Lazarus, the, the, Lazarus, the only thing he, had, he, he could be thankful for, all this is interrelated, the only thing Lazarus had to be thankful for was when the dogs came and licked his sores and in some way alleviated the pain. That's all he had to be thankful for. Yet he went to heaven because he recognized and was thankful to God. Yet the rich man, who had everything to be thankful for, who ignored the man who sat at his gate, had all the things the world could give, he was not thankful, and he went to hell. You know, it's interesting, this idea of thankfulness, it's not just about, oh, thank you, Lord, and counting your blessings. It's far deeper than this. It's at the root of salvation. We find, for example, in Romans chapter 1, uh, speaking about the fact that there's no excuse for people not to know God. Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations. So here, God's main problem with humanity is sin. And at the heart of their sin, in this, this passage, is their failure to recognise God even though God is all around them. In the beauty of creation, albeit a fallen creation. He's, he's so obvious, you just have to look out your window. He's everywhere. And God's main problem with mankind is that they can see him, it's evident, but they ignore him, don't honour him as God, or give thanks. They don't give thanks. This rich man didn't give thanks. Then out of this, Jesus speaks to his disciples about how to live their life. In the first four verses, he talks about the discipleship service of faith. And the first thing he's talking about when he talks about faith is that faith doesn't stumble others. Faith doesn't get in the way of others. And faith forgives and helps others. He says, woe to you uh, if you stumble anyone. It'd be better if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than to cause for these little ones to stumble. These little ones, oh, they're the Lazarus that we've just heard about. And earlier on in Luke, these are the poor people, the people that are despised, the marginalised. Uh, you'll never see them on the X Factor. Uh, you'll never see, you never see them in the posh restaurants. These are just the normal, common people that often are, are forgotten by society. They're, they're the little ones. And, and what Jesus is saying is don't despise the little ones. Why? Because no one's going to despise the great ones. This was the problem in the epistle of James, when great people, rich people, famous people... People wielding power, whether it's business power or political power, would come into their midst. Everybody would make room for them. Everybody would want to speak to the rich, the famous. Why? Because they might benefit about it. But no one wants to speak to the invisible people out there that have got nothing to give. These are the little ones. And so this is quite a strong thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, make sure that you realise that the people you don't value, I value. And so you better make sure they're okay. You better make sure you don't stumble them. You better make sure that you, you, you put them at the top of your list of attention. And then the next thing he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Why? Because you should know what a sinner that you are too. And God forgives you and I more than seven times a day, doesn't it? And how many times are we constantly going back to the Lord, having failed him, failed ourselves and failed other people? And are we thankful that he's forgiven us? You know, he, he or she that, 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 that appreciates God's love much will also love much. And he or she that appreciates God's forgiveness to their own life is thankful, is grateful for God's patience with them. They will be patient with other people. This is thanksgiving. This is being thankful for the little ones. Thankful for the way that God forgives you so that then you can be grateful to others. But notice, he didn't say just leave things. He said, if somebody sins, confront them. In other words, there's a strength here that when something, someone does something wrong, 
that you care enough about them to speak to them about it. Now, this is totally different to telling somebody off. If you tell somebody off, then God will come down your way in some sort of circumstance and tell you off. This isn't telling someone off. Telling someone off, that type of attitude, I mean, behind telling someone off, is pharisaic and self-righteous and is a person that is not grateful for how God deals with them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. With the judgment that you give is the judgment that you will receive. When you understand how merciful God has been to you and is to you and continues to be to you, you will be merciful to others. But if you are not merciful to others, then God will treat you in the same way that you treat such as these little ones. This is very powerful, life-changing things, and it operates all of the time. So to confront someone in love is a different thing altogether. To confront someone and to speak to them because you want the best for them. Sometimes the easiest thing in the world is, is not to confront somebody. In fact, what we tend to do is not confront somebody, but go to everybody else behind the scenes and let them know how we feel that they've treated them. Go to people, well, what did you think about the way that he acted? Well, what did you think about what he said? What did you think? Not going to the person, but going to someone else. Well, I thought it was terrible. Oh, me too. Well, what did you... And then, then, then there's, a, there's a web all around this situation without going to the person to speak to them, but not out of a heart to bash them or to cut them down, but genuinely say, I need to speak to you about something because I want to help you. Now, you, you say, well, that's all very good. What's that got to do with Thanksgiving? Everything is going to lead up to this great story of the, um, the uh, lepers. Now, the apostles understood what Jesus was saying here because it says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Again, this is a passage that is often taken out of context. Increase our faith. And Jesus said, if you have uh, the, the, the seed of a mustard seed, a faith of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mulberry broth, be uprooted and thrown in. And people go, yes, that's miracle working faith, brother. That's healing faith. That's faith for prosperity. That's faith for breakthrough. Well, perhaps it is at a secondary level, but at a primary level, in this context, it's faith to forgive people. It's to live a life and forgive people. It's to live a life and to look after the little ones and to make sure that they're not stumbled but protected and helped on their way because they're vulnerable, they're little. Uh, and it's to forgive someone six times a day. You say, oh, I don't need faith to, 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 to forgive someone six times a day. Well, that's why you don't forgive them once a day because <laughs> you don't have the faith. And so the, the disciples said, how can we possibly live like this? Oh, God, increase our faith. And Jesus said... It's not about the amount. A little faith can work wonders. Not just healing the sick, and that's the secondary way you can look at this, but a little faith in God will work wonders in the way that we appreciate people around us. Appreciate the little ones, the ones that are vulnerable, the ones that have nothing to give. Appreciate someone enough that we care enough to speak into their lives an uncomfortable word, word that comes from love and grace, not from beating them down. Caring enough for someone to be thankful that God is so patient in our lives that seven times a day we're, we're just 
trying to sort it out. We're believing in them. We're, we're, we're talking to them about the situation. They're making a mistake, but we're giving them room. This is a growing thing. I'm not expecting us all to be here overnight, but are we even on the journey? We thank God that he forgives us more than seven times a day and, and the mistakes we made. And so as we begin to, to appreciate and count God's blessings of forgiveness and patience in our lives, it begins to affect our relationships. And we need faith for that. And then finally in this section from verses 7 to 10 that will lead us into this parable, the main part of the sermon today, we have this idea that Jesus speaks about a slave plowing or tending sheep. And he's, he's not saying that slavery is okay. Of course not. The gospel, the, the gospel says that there is no slave or freed man, no male or female. We're all equal under God. It was the seeds that would destroy slavery are found in the gospel. He's just describing a common event. And he's saying a slave's out there working hard all day, hard, hard, hard. And, and everybody knows that when the slave comes in, the master then doesn't say thank you to the slave. That's not the way it was set up. The slave was owned by the master. The slave comes in, he's exhausted, maybe he thinks he should have, you know, have his uh, half an hour break, his tea break and everything like that, or a wash or a shower. But no, no, the, the master doesn't say thank you for everything you've done. The master says, hey, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm just going to get out of there. I'm just going to have a shower, just going to have a bite to eat. Whoa, 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 whoa. Me, master, you slave. I'm hungry. Where's my food? And so the person would prepare the food, make sure the master has got everything, and then afterwards eat and drink. And uh, he doesn't thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves and have done only that which we've ought. You say, is that about thanksgiving? Absolutely. Because here, what, what we have, what's been teaching here is, you are not doing God a favour when you do what he's asked you to do. You're not doing him a favour. You're not doing God some great favour when you forgive someone, when you don't act in order to stumble other people's intentionally, when you looked after the little ones. When you, when you, when you obey the Lord, don't think he's standing there clapping. Fantastic, fantastic. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying... God is in control of everything. He's all great, all powerful. He's king, he's master. And we are, in a sense, in this idea of duty, simple slaves. And this is important because uh, it, what, what he's saying is don't expect gratitude, give gratitude. Expecting gratitude from God. I'm not saying that God doesn't say thank you. We know that Jesus also teaches there'll become a day when those that have been faithful to him, he will say, uh, thank you, good and faithful servant, yes? And there'll be rewards, we understand that. But what Jesus is saying is don't get into a place where um, you, well, what, what, what's the word? I, I suppose the, the word would be, don't get into the place where... Um, you, you, you feel an entitlement to be thankful by God. Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like others. But I am holy and I serve you and I do all the good things and I give and I am not like others. I thank you, oh, Lord. And God's like doing, just, what, you, 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 what, you're coming with a sense of entitlement. You just do what you're told. I'm God. I'm God. 
I remember once I was reading a, uh, a daily prayer, a Celtic daily prayer. It was from this Celtic church, ancient Celtic church. They'd made it into daily readings and prayers. And one of the daily readings uh, and prayers I read, it was just simple. It was a question, God questioning uh, his servant. And, and in it, it says, does not the potter have the right to do whatever he wants with the clay? And the answer was, yes. That was my daily reading. It blew me away. In other words, it was like, God said, I can do whatever I want with you. Is that right, Bruce? And I'm like, yes. And when I thought about that, that God could do whatever he wanted with me. He's the potter, I'm the clay. Whether it benefited me or didn't benefit me, I know that the Lord is good, but that in some sense I felt this entitlement thing in me break. This idea that I'm just clay. And if God wants me to do this and I don't like it, who am I to speak back to, to him? And if God does something with me and I do like it, well, great. And, and this is what Jesus is say, saying here. And um, it reminds me of, of the story. Two, two old friends met each other on a street one day. One looked sad, almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked, What has the world done to you, my old friend? The sad fellow said, Let me tell you. Three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. Wow, that's a lot of money. But you see, two weeks ago, a cousin I'd never knew died and left me $80,000, free and clear. Sounds to me like you've been very blessed. You don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited almost a quarter of a million from her. Now, the man's friend was really confused. Then why do you look so glum? This week, I received nothing. <laughs> so, there's often a problem when we receive something on a regular basis. Even if it's a gift, we eventually come to expect it. The man there thought he was going to ha have this every week. And when he didn't get it one week... He was ungrateful. He'd almost come to view getting these gifts as an entitlement. So sometimes when we count our blessings, there are blessings uh, and we don't even see them as blessings. Because a blessing you're not entitled to is the grace and mercy of God. So the moment you view something in your life as an entitlement whether it's from other people or, or from God, it ceases to be a blessing. It becomes a right. You become a bit, like the, a bit like the idea of a slave coming in and saying, well, where's my money? I've been working for you. Hey, how about a little bit of thanks and all this type of thing where, where, where we're looking for thanks instead of giving thanks? I mean, we soon learn about giving thanks and, and blessings that we feel entitled to suddenly become blessings again when uh, the water company turn off our water. Or in the middle of the winter, there's a, there's a gas problem or electric problem. Or even the lights don't work one night. The lights blow out and you're fumbling with a torch trying to find the candles and you suddenly realise hot water in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a glass of clean water. A glass of clean water. What a blessing. There's other people in the world who, if they walked into uh, our cloakrooms or our kitchens and turned on clean water and you told them you could drink it, they'd, want, they'd sit down and cry. You know it's to be true. 
and, and this is an attitude. Then we come now to the, uh, to the ten lepers, which is all part of this train of thought. As you can see, scripture, train of thought, of thanksgiving, and letting it flow through our lives. And it's a very well-known story. Jesus is up in the Samaria um, border, Samaria and Galilee, and he's ministering, and ten lepers come to him. And we know that leprosy was a terrible disease because you got to the place where you couldn't even feel with your, your, your body and your hands, and, and you would wound yourself, and you wouldn't know that you've wounded, and eventually your skin would deteriorate and it was contagious. So people had to live in leper colonies. You were pushed out of society. You could only live with other lepers. And here we've got a bunch of lepers living together. And if you, you heard the sermon this morning, you'd have heard about how at this time the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get on. For the Jews, the Samaritans were the lowest of the lows. Well, here in this leper colony, it didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Samaritan. They were mixed here. Elsewhere in society, on the Samaria-Galilean border, Jews wouldn't even sit down with a Samaritan. And the Samaritans didn't think much of the Jews as well. There was no mixing. But because these, uh, um, the, the, these lepers were, were, were no longer part of any type of civilized society, it didn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Samaritan. You were a leper. You weren't part of society. And so they, they raised their voice and they called to Jesus, Master, have mercy upon them. He didn't lay his hands up on them. He didn't do, do, do that. He just said to them, he looked at them and said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, this is important because when you read the book of Leviticus, you find that the priest is the only person that's qualified to examine someone who believes that they've been healed or that their leprosy has left them. And there's a whole bunch in Leviticus of laws of how the priest will check the spots and check the skin and will then be able to say, leprosy has left you, and then at that moment pronounce you clean. Clean to come back in society and ceremonially clean. So Jesus says, go to the priest. So as they go to the priest, as they are walking to the priest, the ten of them, they begin to see their, their hands coming back and the snowy white leprosy leaving and their hands looking again pink and fresh and, and, and healing is coming through their body and they're realizing that they are cleansed. As they were going, they were cleansed. As they were doing this, something happened. Nine of them said, let's keep going to the priest. Let's get back into society. This is great. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were thinking about the future. They'd been healed. What was on their mind? All the things they could now do that they were healed. One of them was saying, I can't wait to go to the pub tonight and play darts with my mates. Another one was saying, I'm going to be able to go back to my girlfriend or my wife. And, or oh, I'm going to have a roasted dinner at my parents. They're going to be so happy they've been healed. And immediately they were thinking about how they were going to apply the benefit. Let's get to that priest. Let's get the declaration. And let's get out there and enjoy ourselves. There wasn't an attitude of gratefulness. There was an attitude of excitement of re-entering 
the world and society. You can understand that to a measure. Oh, this is great what's happened to me. Now I can go out and I can use this, this, uh, th this good thing that's happened to me and all the things I can do, go and watch Millwall again, down the den, and all these things I can go, I can go and do. This is going to be great. Except one. One realised that he got healed. And instead of getting down to the priest's house as quick as possible so that he could then do all the stuff in society that he might have used to have done, something inside him was very grateful, very thankful. Instead of thinking about all the benefits, he began to think about the person that gave him the benefit. He began to think, Jesus has done this. And it was more than just the blessing of, of, of being healed that would open up society to him again, he saw beyond the blessing. He saw beyond the miracle. He saw beyond the benefit to the benefactor. And he thought, this is so amazing, but even more amazing is the man that did this to me. And he turned, and instead of going to the priest, he went back to the high priest. He went back to the one that shed his blood so that he wouldn't have to bleed anymore through the broken, cracked skin of a leprous man. And he went back because he knew if this man could cure his physical leprosy, maybe this man could cure all the other problems that were deep in his heart that no physical healing could reach. A broken heart, a sinful heart. He went back. And everybody, where are you going? Come on, come on. Pub opens in a few hours' time. Get down to Priest's house. He lives next to the pub. And we can celebrate. We're going to have a party tonight. He says, I'm, I've got to go. I've got to go back. This is too big just to go back to normal life. I've got to go back and I've got to say thank you. And so this one man returns to Jesus. And you know, it seems that Jesus was expecting them to return. You might have think, well, it was obvious. He told them to go to the priest. So, you know, it's a surprise that one returned. Not to Jesus. To Jesus, it was a surprise that people didn't move beyond the blessing that was given to them, beyond the good thing that happened, and realize what it really meant, that the Savior was in town. And so when he returns, glorifying God, he's so grateful. He's so happy. I mean, when you're so happy, you're so excited so thankful when a child is so happy when they've received something and they're, they're clapping. Or they're, you ever seen a child getting a gift that they've wanted and they step back and they're dancing and they're clapping and they just can't, they can't contain themselves or it's Christmas morning or it's birthday morning and they're up for it and they're like, they can't believe it. And it's their party and it's my birthday, you know. Here comes the cake, me, me, it's me, oh. And they're like, oh, I can't get a bit of that cake. And then all the other kids pass the parcel have you ever seen a pass the parcel and they reach out it slow as they can? Oh, stop, stop, I'm going to get... And then the joy turns to pain. And then the worst thing, of course, you have to watch as a parent, is when someone stops the music and it's halfway between them. You don't want to go there. Watch, watch when you stop it. The excitement and the joy. Well, here he is. He's shouting. He's beside himself. He's so grateful. And when he sees Jesus, he falls on his face, Whew. giving thanks. Wow, wouldn't it be amazing to be so thankful we can't help but fall on our face. So grateful, so thankful for, for what God has, has done, for, done for us. You know, 
there's a story, a blind boy sat on the steps of a building with a hat by his feet to collect money. He held up a sign which said, I am blind, please help. There were only a few coins in the hat and a man was walking by. He took a few coins from his pocket, he dropped them into the hat and then he took the sign, turned it around and wrote some words on it and then gave the sign back to the blind boy to hold with the words that he had written on them. Soon the hat began to fill up with money. A lot more people were giving money to the blind boy. And that afternoon, the man who changed the sign came to see how things were, and the boy recognised his particular footsteps and said, were you the one who changed my sign this morning? What did you write? The man said, I only wrote the truth. I said what you said, but in a different way. You wrote, I am blind, please help. I wrote, today is a beautiful day, but I cannot see it. Both signs told the people that the boy was blind, but the first sign simply said the boy was blind. The second sign told people that they were so lucky that they weren't blind. I... uh, Today is a beautiful day, I cannot see it. So people were seeing the sign and they were thinking, but I can see it. The gift of sight, the gift of hearing, the gift of taste, the the little things, the gift of another day, the gift of one another, the gift of bread, all these things, the gift of a salary, The gift of the ability to get a salary. The gift of wisdom. The gift of athletics. The gift of media. The gift, the gift, the gift. Luther called uh, all the people that benefit us masks of God. So the farmer is a mask of God. Why? Because behind the mask, God produces the food that comes from the, 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 the farmyard. The policeman is a mask of God. Why? Because behind the policeman, if it's a good policeman, comes the, the order and protection that God gives us. Everywhere there's reasons to be grateful. Everywhere reasons to be thankful. And when Jesus said to this man, didn't, didn't they see what had been restored to them. And he said, where, where are they? Were there not, not ten that were healed? And the only one who returned to give glory to God was this foreigner. You see, this foreigner, he, he, wasn't, he had realised that the law meant nothing now that Jesus was here. He was a Samaritan anyway. Didn't give a fig about the priest, he was healed. Didn't care about Leviticus laws or religious ways. He was healed and he knew that he needed to go back and establish a personal relationship with the person that has so blessed him. And it ends by saying this, and you might not see it in your version, it's not in my version, but it says, and he said to him, stand up, go, your faith has saved you. It doesn't say made you well. Sometimes the word sozo can have that meaning. But here, commentators understand that this man was not only saved from his leprosy, but he'd become saved saved from his sins because he had, through gratefulness, recognised who Jesus was. He didn't stop at the benefit 
but he went through the obvious benefit to the benefactor, worshipped him, and was saved. You know, when God does something for us and we give thanks, it's important to go through the thanksgiving to the person. I remember, you know, you ask God to do things for you. And, uh, and if you do this for me, Lord, I'll do that for you. Have you ever done that? God, if you do this for me, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. Well, I wasn't even a Christian, not properly. Didn't really understand the gospel. And I was sitting in Durham Cathedral in a certain place, just sitting there. Wasn't a Christian, wasn't living like a Christian. But I was about, I was being interviewed to do my theology degree in Durham. So I sat there and I did a deal with God, if he existed or not, I didn't know. God, I said, quietly, obviously. I said, God, if you get me into Durham to be a student, then I will follow you all the rest of my life. I didn't even know what I was saying. <laughs> I didn't even know what I was saying. And I, when I said that, a heavy presence, didn't understand what a heavy presence was. Just a heavy, heavy, heavy atmosphere came around me. And I thought, that's really nice. I didn't understand what it was. And then I went and I got into Durham. And there's many times when I've forgotten what I said to the Lord and have been, I guess, ungrateful for that little event. I've talked about being grateful for everything, but there's an event where I said, if you do this, I'll be so grateful, I'll do that. But there's sometimes when you, you step back and you think, you know, God set my whole life on course. And I promised I'd follow him. And down the line, at times, I've forgotten. Not the deal. God doesn't do deal with God, but he's very gracious to people trying to reach out to him. And I thought I should be so thankful for what he did. And I did make a promise to him. How about us? As we bow our heads as we close today, how about us? Faith is always accompanied by thanksgiving if it's true faith. Faith and thanksgiving are inseparable. Thanksgiving will keep you sane. Thanksgiving will allow you not to go off in extremes of desires or, or despair. Thanksgiving will keep you spiritually sober, alert, healthy of mind. Thanksgiving is so important and always accompanies faith. The whole of the Christian life, our obedience to God, is based on our understanding and how grateful we are for what he's done for us. Everything we do for the Lord should be out of the main motivation of thanksgiving. Obedient people, truly obedient people, people that are obedient to the Lord from the heart, are also grateful people. We're not perfect. We'll always struggle in this area, but we can grow in this area. Why don't you give thanks to the Lord?